0: Welcome all to our Parshas Matos masse pre, pre nine days shir. Um, our dedications today, people dedicate the shear, and the money goes for tzedakah causes. Often within our learning circle, there are many uh, different needs and beyond. Uh, I know every single case personally that I donate the money to, all legitimate, very legitimate. So here we go, Dedications by Tammy Mark for the Yaretzid of her father-in-law, Yehuda Eliezer ben Yitzchak Mark. And good news, Rifki Youngwais is dedicating again, but uh, this time and last week, thank you to Hashem that the surgery went well and a continued Rafur Shlema Bakaro for Godel Yehuda ben Rezel. Also Refua Shlema for Sarah Bas Rachel, Susie Libin is dedicating in honor of her father's continued good health, Harav Yisrael Yaakov Yaikel Gross. Us not sure for Nalias Neshama for her grandmother Chava Bas Avraham whose yarteh is today the 29th of Thomas. by Rachel Sabol for complete refuah Shalema for Shlomo Pinchas Ben Rachel and Chana Gold for her mother's yarteh Sarah Bas Chana Levracha in ninth of Av and her mother-in-law's yarteh Chai Gold of Vegas Levracha was on the 19th of Thomas. Basiberg for refuah shleima for Tinoch Ben Sarah Rifka. And Amun on the Yarted of Shoshana Bat Shalom and Goldie Bloom for a Refuah Shalema for Chaim Tzvi Ben Shalamis Chasya. Now, since so many people want us to learn for all of these uchuyas, we really have to do our best. Okay, here we go. Our topic today, looking at the nine days, Avellus, Avelut. What does Avelut mean? What do we do, what do we call Avelis? What is that? Morning. okay. Let's see what Avelis means and let's try to get into one of the key factors that either um, forces us to remain in a state of sadness, loss, um, you know, and all the things that go with it or give us a path to a positive mindset, okay? So let's start with a thought experiment. Actually, there's one and two here. Number one, let's start with number two. What is actually the meaning of the word Avelut? Let's actually translate the word. What's the root? What's "aval"? But. But. However, but. So give me an example where you'd use the word but. <laughs> I like your butt. Yeah. What else? I was planning to go to that, but what happened? What happened? I got a phone call, or what else happens? However, I couldn't go because there's fifty million variables that I didn't foresee. Okay. What does but or however imply? There are variables that we don't control. I wanted to, but it didn't work out. I intended to, but right. why is an avil someone who's mourning, why is it from, this is Rav Hirsch, but you could probably figure it out. What is the word aval, but have to do with the fact that we're an avelut that we're mourning? <laughs> aval, aval. Her Hirsch says aval. I had hopes, expectations, but look what happened, or I'm healthy right now, we're all alive right now, but I realize that any second that I could change it, it's not in my hands. So Rav Hirsch says that the essence of Ave Lut is coming to confront the big, huge, however, we're not gonna say the other word, <laughs> the, how, the, all those things that, all those factors that come into play that are not in my hands. So before we go to exercise number one, I want you to do another exercise. We've done this before, but just to get us in the right frame of mind, I want everybody out here to call out one by one, all the factors in your life that you never got to select. They were all pre-selected for you, start. Family. Your fa- your family, meaning, who's your family? Your parents, siblings. your siblings, your children, your gender. Yeah. Well, that's Pla- that's place, <laughs> what else, what else? I- Your parents, we said it. What generation? Socioeconomic, Socioeconomic, meaning what experiences were you got? What you were exposed to? What education you got? What happened to you? Your temperament, your genetics, your physical, your body, every single thing, hello. So let's all just give all of those factors a name. That's called your chelek. What do we say about your chelek? What what do we say about your chelek, Azuhu ashir so meh so mental hygiene 101 get comfortable with your khalak because you, there is nothing you could do to change it it's all been designed for you period okay so number 1 embrace your khalak it is what you've been given and it, everybody's khalak is different and nobody gets to choose so we're all in the same boat on that okay now here comes a person with their khalak all right then they start saying but if i would have had that or if that went to happen or if I would have just known that or if I could have then everything would have been different so you take your chalek, let's do the equation plus your butt, and what do you end up with misery okay misery frustration anger depression and disappointment this is this is what like the I was helpless because you know I had all these situations but if only I would have had a pick. now Here's the, okay. Think about an episode of strong frustration, or anger, or self pity, or even hatred for someone else. Right? Okay. Think about that moment. Okay. Now I want you to assess what was your expectation that was disappointed that led to all those things. Whether it be your kids, your spouse, your parents, your job, your friends, your dreams, your hopes, your so-called tafka that you foolishly decided you had to play that role because you couldn't control all the million factors that had to come into play in order to play that role. But nevertheless, you decided you had to play that role. Okay, think of all those things, assess your expectation and measure the intensity of your reaction compared to the intensity of your expectation. Okay, think about it. When were you sorely disappointed, frustrated, angry, just sad? And what was the expectation that led to that? And you will all, as we all know, that the expectation relied heavily on factors that you couldn't control. Someone else should have done something different. Some other episode should have not happened. Someone else shouldn't have, this, this situation should not have arisen. It's all other stuff that you can't control. Do we see where we're going with this? We're going that expectations are really in a certain way dangerous for us because they rely on factors that we can't control. Now, what sort of, what do you call an expectation about your own self, which is the only thing you could control and how you'd like to, you see yourself working towards a particular goal and really devoting yourself to it. What is, is that called an expectation? It's not called the because You don't know if you're going to get there's a, again, a million factors. It's called an aspiration. What we're doing today is we're really sorting out the difference between healthy aspirations for yourself. Don't bother aspiring for other people. <laughs> that is like a straight into a brick wall at hundred miles an hour. Do not aspire for other people. Okay, aspire for yourself. By the way, nobody was put on this earth with their Kalech. So someone else should be happy. And someone else should be fulfilled. You don't get your whole chaylech for someone else. Okay. You get your whole chaylech for yourself. That's it. Now, aspirations are healthy if they're within reason. Okay. And they only apply to yourself, period. Expectations are risky, even towards yourself. Because again, fact is you can't control. They're certainly absolutely insane when it comes to other people. Okay. So. Let's now, with this, with this introduction of sorting out aspirations and expectations and keeping them realistic based on your chalet, and also putting in the aval, all those messages, those voices in our head, but if only they, or he, or she, or it, or God, or they would have done differently, then my expectations, okay, you all can think of a scenario like this? All right. All right, so now with all this as background, expectations and aspirations and howevers and cheleks, let's go look at the first segment in the Parsha. We're not going to dwell on it. We're just going to introduce our shir with it because it, it is, of course, uh, timely. It's always how it works, that the message in the Parsha is timely to the Inyane diyoma, which is, of course, velus. So the Parsha starts out with Nidharim. And we're not going to get into nadarum except to do two things. To first of all, make sure that people know how to read Chumash. This is just an opportunity to point out how people misread Chumash. Okay. You start looking at the laws of nadarum. Okay. It's really not, again, specific to our topic. And it says if a person makes a Nader, he has to keep everything that he, that he, um, that, that he promised okay now then it goes into women it starts talking about if a woman makes a nether we're going to define a nether in a second Okay. asar and she forbade something to herself okay oh sorry base and she's still in her father's house and she's still so now, if you just Google this about patriarchy and how men get to override women's nadarim and, da, 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 and women don't have their own rights, okay, if you just look at the simple, you know, translation of the Pasuk, the word nar, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, or nara, Rabbeinu B'chai, Rabbeinu Bachai, this, this Pasuk is talking about, in this case, a particular situation where girl's between 12 and 12 and a half. Before 12, any nadarim, she's a minor, like a boy, so it doesn't count. After 12 and a half, nobody can take away her nether, um, you know, if she if she uh, makes a nether for herself, it, well, in her father's house. Between 12 and 12 and a half, she has a certain category called a na'ara, okay, in her father's house. And if she makes a vow at that transitional time in her life where she's going from child to adult, the father can annul it. Now, once she gets married, okay, there are there is a provision being that in the certainly in the olden days, she was under the you know her, or she couldn't unilaterally make decisions, she was not the breadwinner, she was not able to decide those type of things. If she made a vow with the Yoda Cern window of one less than a day, if the for the husband to, um, if necessary, to annul the vow, and after that, she's 100% free to keep all her vows, no one can touch it. After she, if she's not married, she, every vow she makes is binding. So we're talking about very specific situations. Just want you to know that you got to learn Chumish. Okay. Now we're not getting into the whole deeper idea about all this. I just wanted to point out that uh, you can read it yourself um, that by, basically, by and large, people, men and women, are free to make Nadarim, okay, to take upon themselves certain new guidelines or really restrictions. Okay, that's what now. When we start talking about people taking upon themselves promises or making restrictions upon themselves, all right, this is very relevant to the whole story of exile and our approach to it. Okay. But before we get into it, and we're gonna look at the first ned there ever made in the Torah where somebody makes a makes a promise, okay, and also some sort of limitation or restriction on themselves. So before we get into it, we have to um, we have to address um two aspects of what we call promises, okay? Very, very popular idea in what's called brisker learning style. They make a big emphasis, or if Yesheber talked about this a lot, you, this would be familiar, of course, it's great brisker. Um, in, their, in, in, uh, in assessing um, our religious relationship to mitzvahs, there's something called the cheftza and something called the gavra, okay? The cheftza means the object. It's an object. OK, it uh, it assigns a certain status to an object. This is prohibited or this is consecrated. OK, I consecrate this for the base of or for Tzedakah, or I won't use this for anything but a holy purpose. I won't drink this like a Nazir. I won't drink one. You can cons- There's an object that status changes. The wine is now us. That's called the chefzen, the thing. The gavra means my either some sort of new restriction upon myself. I OK. I will, let's say, I won't drink wine versus the wine is usser. So there's the, are we talking, we only think, keep in mind, what are we talking about? An object, the object has a new status in that it's restricted to me now or it's consecrated or do I now operate differently, okay, regarding myself. So look at this, the Talmud in the darim contrasts a nether, which assigns prohibited status to an object with a shvua, a promise which regulates the behavior of an individual. Now, when we are inspired to make a promise, which is very closely related to expectations. I'm going to do this, an aspiration. I'm never going to do that. I'm going to do this, okay? We um we keep in mind, what are we doing? We're generally making some sort of promise that's going to regulate our behavior. That's an aspiration as we generally look at ourselves and aspire to be more disciplined or more, or more forthcoming in some area. All right, taking all these things into account. The first nader ever made Look in c and we're going to go deep into this because this is the guidelines for how to approach our aspirations in this long exile that we're in okay the first nether ever made it was by yaakov remember the story surrounding the first neder that yaakov makes the first promise he makes And he makes it about an object, the Hefza, and he makes it about a gavra, about himself. So let's go into the background here. Let's go a little bit deeper. We did this already in Parsha's Vayetze. But let's go back and focus on some of the deeper meanings here. Let's parse some of the words more carefully. We're going to use the Kedushas Alevi, which is the famous of Levi Yitzchak, the great Hasidish master, who uh, was famous for always seeing the good, Mm -hmm. right? And everybody always being done the Kavzchus. Okay. Yaakov mi charana. Layers and layers here. We're only going to focus on certain aspects. Yaakov is going into Gaulus. That's the first this is the first model of one of their forefathers that is leaving their home, the parental influence, and going into harana. What is in the root of the word harana? Haron, as in. When does it mean what does it mean when we say by or Hashem has haron af? What does it mean? So haron af means flaring of the nostrils. That's an image. What happens when someone's nostrils flare? What's going They're exhaling very powerfully like a bull, right? Or a dragon breathing fire. Now, what does it mean that? When do we use the term? Let me say this. When do we use the phrase haron af regarding Hashem? What? Only in one specific circumstance. We do something else. The Only in one type of sin. Uh, You're uh, close. Avodah uh, okay. So Avodah yeah. Zara is essentially, let's use our language, extreme survival mode. Meaning, there's nothing beyond this world that I'm in. These are the forces I need to work with. I need to figure out how to manipulate them to get my needs met. OK, that's a vodazara. How do I keep whatever forces there are that are greater than me um, on my side so I can get my needs met? That's what it all was. OK, so it's extreme survival mode, fear based living, obviously. Now, charonaf. why is that ref- why is it because the exhales? OK, remember that Hashem blew the Neshama into our noses. Of course, that has a deeper meaning. What that means is the divine exhale. Ideas, divine truths, the influence of Hashem's reality, which already shapes the way we think, is meant to guide us, and it's meant to structure our questions to, it's meant to frame our desires and our ideals, right? Our mind already has been influenced by what we call divine thought, truths. That's why people ask the same questions all through millennia in every part of the world. What's my purpose? I don't want to feel why we feel so bad when we're alone, abandoned, invisible, that we don't get approval, which is a terrible pain. Everybody needs some sort of approval, of course, some sort of sense of value. And, um, and all of this is, is, is ubiquitous so for everybody, it's universal. These are the divine realities that already shape our head. And they're supposed to make us ask the right questions. And this is the then the shima, the divine exhale. Now that is inhale, so to speak. It's considered through the nose the nose has a very particular fact you know a uh, way of operating but the exhale implies what it means Vayichar af hashem, we learned this a week or two ago it all is in relationship to us it's not about hashem having emotions we went through this carefully it implies it's trying to say that our behavior of deep survival mode is threatening to basically expel our Nishama from within us. We are expelling, we are removing ourselves, we are disconnecting ourselves, we are separating ourselves from this divine inflow of understandings and ideas that should guide us. When we get into survivor mode, there's we're blocking it. We're blocking it. We're like cutting it off, okay? That's what it's trying to say. Now, what's implied here is Yaakov is going into Gullus because... There and this is the big huge danger of Gullus, the danger of haron of we get lost, we get lost in survivor mode. He, he's going harana, he's going to that place of gullus, which has as its greatest danger that we enter into, as we said, this this, this type of mentality, and it's risky for us. Now, what happens next? By Yifka Bamakom. he what's by what's Pogeya? What's a pigua? It's kind of similar. It's a unexpected, abrupt confrontation. Like it's you, if it happens in your mind, it's a like it's a it's like either an epiphany, like shocks you, all right? Or something you have to come to realize and you can't run away from it, you can't close your eyes to it. It hits you. What hits Yaakov? What does he confront? What is this overriding epiphany that Yaakov gets when he's entering into the state which defines Gaulists, that dangerous territory where we could end up in this place of survival mode, okay? Which we expel, as we said, all of those healthy guiding thoughts. We don't think about them. We don't take them into consideration. We don't follow them through to find out their answers. By Now, I want you to go all the way to the bottom here where it is you see d1 kedushas Slevi. okay oh let's go back to the pasuk for one second okay by Shamani sham and he rests there the sun is setting you know this also refers to the the setting so to speak of the childhood sun so to speak from outside of us of a kadosh baruch who is setting and the sun is rising now from within us the enlightenment the r right that's hamakom. He takes the rocks, the stones of the makom, the makom. And the simple is he puts it, may from his head. And he sleeps in that place. All sorts of layers of meaning. Go to the Rebbe of uh, d or of Kedusha Salevi. Now this, I'm, we're not getting it into, but you might have heard about this. Avanim are really referred to Kabbalistically as the letters. The Avonim are the letters of the osios of the Alephes. Just leave that thought there. And then the bias that the Avonim build are the words. Basically, this is getting into a whole area of how Hashem built the world through letters and words. Leave it for now. But it's trying to say that Yaakov took Avonim, meaning he took the Alephes. He took the building blocks of creation. He took the Seder of creation. He took what God wants from the world, right? And it says, "Vayi," and he took me avnei hamakom. Look at hamakom. This is what I want you to focus on. What is hamakom? What is what does Kluchos Levi say? Yeah, Zeh Kadosh Baruch Hu, Kama Mar Chachamim. What does our say in the Gemara? What does Hashem refer to? The Rashi on this Pasuk says, So what does it mean by ba'makom"? Yaakov is going out into exile to an uncertain journey. Doesn't know where he's going to go. There's a lot of variables. He does not know what they will be and how they will unfold. He doesn't know what his expectations should be, but he does. He's coming to a clarity about his aspirations. Okay. So, the first thing that happens is he has this epiphany. He confronts a reality called Hashem, is the Makomo Shell Olam, the Makom that we all exist within. Fetus in the womb. We all exist in a greater reality. This becomes crystal clear to Yaakov that wherever your journey in life takes you on this planet, you're never, ever leaving your Makom because the whole journey is inside a little bubble which is already inside a greater reality called the Kaddish Baruch Hu. So in that, you're staying in the bubble. You're walking around on your journey inside a very contained, controlled situation, okay? You're really not going anywhere. You're going on your journey. And the factors that will de- determine your journey are not up to you. They're really not. Who you're gonna meet and what they're gonna do and what's gonna happen, it's not really up to you. So you confront the idea though, and what's gonna eliminate is fear is he's in the makom, we're always in the makom, by Yifgaba makom, he recognizes and has this epiphany and confronts this non-negotiable reality called the makom, we're in the makom no matter where we go. Then what does he do? He gathers up the stones, well, the, the deeper meaning is the the, the, seder, the order of the world, the, the factors in the world that Hashem created, the alafes, Hashem created the world, using this is a kabbalistic idea using the aleph base meaning these are this is the way the world runs there's many many um runs the world through many forces and in many situations and yaakov gathers that he understands that he, this is he's part of this but look what it says look what, what does the kedusha salevi say he puts them simple shot he puts the rocks under his head what does the kedusha salevi say He takes the idea of makum and he says there's a lot of parts to how things are going to unfold in my life, which I don't know. But nevertheless, no matter what happens, I'm always in the makum. I'm always safe. I'm always within a greater reality. And he makes that thought the primary thought in his head. He puts the rocks It doesn't really mean May Rachel. I should have said under his head. It doesn't say he makes it the primary thought in his mind. That is the thought he holds on to forever. Becomes his mindset. You're right, Sandy. But this is this is telling you, and we're going to see further what just patience (laughs) that he understands that this is the, 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 the framing concept of his life that's going to make, not just his, it's Amishol going into Golas. We like a turtle, we carry our makom with us wherever we go. Now, and then it says, again, this is going back into the whole thing with the letters, there's 22 letters. It's not, maybe next week we'll do more about the letters and the alefes, you know, the echa is Aleph is also, and then there's letters. Yeah. Okay. So, but the fact here is that Yaakov, um, going into Gullus, going into that place where we are, we could be in danger of slipping. Okay. He um, he. First thing he does is he he grabs on for Amisov the concept of mukhom and makes it first primary. The it, it is the framework of our mindset. Now, then once he does that, he goes to sleep and he has a dream. And we did the whole Sefer Beratius this past year, 5782. Each partial, we focused on Nevuah, the message of the Nevuah, the style of the Nevuah. So I'm not going to go back into that, but this is a Nevuah by Yachalom, He has a ladder. Obviously, it's on the ground, it's reaching the heavens. And Malachi Elochim are going up and down. We're going to look into the three different opinions about those Malachim are. And above the ladder, v'hinei Hashem nitzav alav, Hashem is permanently upon it. But Avram, avicha Yitzchak, This land, oh, I'm missing some here. Um, this land is um, going to be for you and your children will be great. He gives him the promise of Avraham that you will be, you will have Zerah and Eretz, you will have a nation, you will inherit this land, okay? And he adds the promise of Abram, all nations will be blessed through you. And then Hashem says, and I will be with you, because we're talking about Golis now. And I will protect you wherever you go. That's the Makom. And I will turn you to this land. And I will not abandon you until I do what I promise. So Hashem told him that. You'll, you're always going to be, you know, you'll, I'll always be there for you. Okay? Now. Let's just go and look at what the angels are. Look at two, the angels of the ladder. Okay, so Rashi, you know Rashi says, they are malachim of Eretzishol <laughs> who are going up and other malachim of chutzlars are coming down. Stop right here. We learn what malachim mean. What's a malach? So let's go back into some of our fundamental ideas. By the way, Mirzah after the summer, after the summer, when my true sabbatical starts, even though I'm i will be keeping this class. My goal is to take all of these ideas that we, you know, these foundational ideas and finally construct them into a short course on Judaism that you can always go back and refer to. And that will give us the way to understand all of these things and uh, particularly their direct impact on our personal capacity to operate with, you know, in a way that's satisfying, positive, good relationships, all of that. It all goes straight into real life. But one of the things we learned that will be in this course and that's fundamentals malachim okay the muscle we're using right is that remember that akadosh baruchu on day two created on day one created a voracious sh- brokenness a shamayim arent, right and we talk about that akadosh baruchu created the shamayim and about the heavenly spheres and all the malachim what is the muscle okay akadosh Baruch Hu is all spiritual all Thought, whatever, nothing tangible. Okay. But Akhadashbrocha created a real world, a physical world, but Hashem also cre- created created a metaphysical world. When we say that Akhadashbrocha created something, we mean or go back to a fundamental idea that if there's ain ode milvado, the Hashem is everything. Okay. So how could anything else have a separate identity? Okay. So we created and we learned the idea that Hashem first created what's called the ayin. This, so to speak, separate space, the muscle is a womb, okay, everything in the womb is a so-called separate space, an iron, a place that within it, the baby, right, doesn't know that it's part of something bigger, it thinks it's its own separate safe space, that has, the, the mother, it's void, it's a halal, it's void of the mother, but it's not, from the perception of creations, it's a separate space, it's an ayin, it's a halal, but from the perception of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, no, not at all, okay, now, into this creation, there is a number of components. This is our muscle. Of course, you have the fetus. That's the human beings. That's us, right? You have the umbilical cord, the feed, then a shama, the flow of ideas. Now, where does the umbilical cord come from? It doesn't come straight from the mother's mind. There's something called a placenta. It's for using it as a muscle for the shamayim. The shamayim is the reservoir of all the forces and powers that Hashem created to run the world, to flow into the world, just like a placenta is created. And it is the reservoir of all the nutrients and oxygen and everything the baby is going to need. And there's multiple arteries flowing through it, but only a trickle comes down to the baby according to its needs. At every single moment, it shifts and changes. Okay. The word mazel, nozel flows down. A Kodesh Baruch who created forces called the Shemayim or Malachim, like we talked about this. The Malach Rifa'el is the force called healing or rifua or ref- repair. Like when something you get a cut and it and it and it heals. What is that? Hashem put a force into the world that sometimes no zeal it, it flows to us or reaches us, it operates for us, of repair, not just physical repair, shuva repair, all sorts of repair. There's a concept in the world called repair. People don't have to be stuck in their mistakes forever. People are salvageable. People could get second chances. People can fix their problems. Okay, now, this is all no. This is all in that All right, in the forces, the malachim. Now there are when Am Yisrael, in our childhood lived in Eretz Yisrael with the base Hamikdash and and the Nevua and open miracles and all of that. When we were in Eretz Yisrael, remember, Yaakov was leaving Eretz Now, this is the mushal for Gullis. Those forces, even the forces of Shefa flow, of more of more, um, more metaphysical flow, right? The malachim of Eretz that allowed Nisim to happen in this world, that allowed Nevi'im operate, that is not going to be the same in Golis. They are, so to speak, going back up. And coming down is a different sort of flow of a malach of forces that are gonna accompany us through Golis. Does that make sense? And look at Rambam. Rambam specifically says these malachim going up and down. What does Rambam say? What are they? Look in the Mora 115, look in the bold. They're the Neviim. In Eretz when we had Nevuah, okay? The Neviim were able to get a greater access to the shamayim, so to speak, to the forces, to get glimpses of them, to see what would flow into the world, what sort of kohos or forces or Hashem is going to, it's going to kind of like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Seed um, into the world at different times. And they could predict and they could tell what's going to happen and they could tell us how to handle it. These are a neviim. Again, these Neviim the don't operate outside of Eretz So now what happens outside of Eretz Look at the Medrash Shem Ah, These are the four, mal- the, the Malachim now are actually the four Goliaths. He's seeing four exiles. You know this, you could read the Medrash Shem yourself. He's seeing Bavil, Pars of Madai, Greece, Rome. Okay, He's seeing them. What are they going up to the Shemayim for? What does that mean? We understand the Navi accesses a greater insight into what's going to flow into this world. They see kind of how our Kodesh is going to direct us. Maybe Hashem will send the Tzara to wake us up. Maybe Hashem will send the great nation. They see things. But what are the co of these various nations and their governments? What are they going up for? What are they getting up there? Remember it says Hashem needs love. What are they taking down with them? Yaakov seeing the... Malachim of Chutzlars. He's seeing what, 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 are, what are they bringing down with them? Why are why is this doing that? one it's supposed to be off. Um, hold on a second. Whatever. Okay. Um, what are they going up there for? If why do you go up to the Shemaim? What's the point of going up? Why didn't you go up? Why didn't vim go up? Why did Malach? What's going up? Hmm? No. They're going up and coming down. Huh? Bring to bring, look at the Rambam. To bring, uh, you could read it yourself. To bring something down. Rambam says, you go up to bring something down. So what are the various exiles in the nations? What are they going up to get? And what are they bringing down? Now, we started talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Okay. The exiles, the nations are also going up to pull down certain forces for us, meaning the way we grow and learn and manage our aspirations in Eretz Yishro, in that in our childhood phase, is not the same as our adulthood. They are also bringing down a hashba. They're also bringing down certain forces. These nations are being among the nations, whichever ones they are, let's say America today, There are forces that are affecting us, that are unique to this country and this time. There are forces that are affecting us. And the way we're supposed to manage those forces is, A, as we started talking about trying to understand where their source is in MS, if there is, right? And how to connect them to Torah and structure them through Torah. But make no mistake about it. The Rashi and the Rambam saying it's Nevi'im, it's Malachim. are talking about childhood. Those are going up to get something and bring that down. But the Midrash and is saying that's what he's seeing. That phase is over. And the new phase is that the Malchios, it's the nations we live amongst that actually are going to sort of dictate our challenges and what's about what we're going to go through and what we're going to have to contend with. It's the nations we're among. That's the ones who are going to supply, so to speak, what we're going to have to address. That's Yaakov's fight with the of Asa. I mean, there's aspects of Yaakov's fight, and particularly with Asa. Um, get damage, right? so. there'll, be, there'll certainly be scars, but we'll prevail. Now look what happens next. So Yaakov sees this. All right, go back. We want to get to his neder, okay? So what does he do? So he goes, he sees this. Hashem makes a promise. I'm gonna, you're, you're going to be a great mate. You're going to be a nation, okay? You are going to spread all over. But everyone who will, if you set the tone, if you provide an example for what to do with what's coming down, everyone will be blessed through you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to bring you back here, and I will not leave you. Okay. Now look what happens next. Yaakov has a promise. Yaakov mishnaso. Now he he wakes. By the way, according to Ramam this is happening in the middle of his dream. He's getting the interpretation of the dream in the middle of his dream. That's how Nevoa works. But Yomar achin yesh So now he says he's in, He's going out of. He's going to Galus, right? And he says yesh Hashem hazeh. This makom here. Is where our Meaning, Yaakov is realizing that this place, where the Beis Hamikdash would be built, even when there's no Beis Hamikdash, even when we're in dullest for thousands of years, this place is the source of the great ideas that will flow to mankind. Okay, this is still remains. It still has its role. he becomes afraid. ha'makom We're gonna get into this word, Nora. How Nora? Nun vav resh ayin, aleph manora hamakom has How awesome is hamokom akadosh baruchu. that you can point to, which means that even though I'm not here physically, I'm way out in Golas, but I'm in this place. It's like the turtle with the shell on its back. Ki This is God's house. Okay, now the dream is over. The interpretation, Yaakov's understanding is over. Then he gets up in the morning. Okay, by Yashkem Yaakov Baboker, he takes the evan that he had put under his head, you know what that means, the concept right <laughs> on a deeper level. He makes it into a matseva. he pours Shemin on it. Obviously, literally it happens, but we're also going on a deeper level. He consecrates this idea, this understanding that Hashem is with him, that there's a mukhom that he takes it with him, that there's going to be also a whole long journey, that there's gonna be a different sort of shefa than there was in childhood, in adulthood, okay? And then it says, Vayik HaMakom Ahu now, "Va'yider Yaakov Nedr. Now he's the first Nedr ever. So number one, be aware that the first Nedr ever was in response to the, the knowledge that no matter where we go in Golis, that HaKodesh Baruch is with us and that HaKodesh Baruch will return us and that we carry our Makhom with us. And that's our main idea, Okay. And, um, and that we're going to persevere through it and it's not going to destroy us, right? That is the first nether ever. What do you promise? Okay, we're going to do it right now. But when a person <laughs> makes a nether, we said either they put some sort of new demand upon themselves. I, I promise to do such and such, or I promise I won't do such and such. It's an aspiration. So what happens now? So we take a, the plot turns now. Yaakov has an aspiration also expectation look what happens by yakov Neder, he makes a nether by laymar saying im if god will be with me and he guards me this whole path Holich, and that is that i'm going to now be traveling but, right exactly exactly but not lechem and he gives me bread to eat a Lilbosh clothing to wear and I'll return peacefully to my father's house. Bahaya Hashem, Lilo and will remain for me as a God. Does this make any sense? Didn't Hashem just promise all these things? This stone that I made, it, that I consecrated, will be Beiselo Kim. And that's, he's, this is the he's consecrating this stone. That's an shot, right? and then he's making a promise on himself. I will give my and everything you give me. So, first of all, he's saying, This will be that, and I will do this. Okay, this stone will be Basilokim, and I will give Mysore. So, he's making this double promise. The big question here is Didn't Hashem just promise it? Why is Yaakov now reiterating well thing? If you do this, then I'll make this into a Basilokim. How do we understand that? Yaakov is making a promise that if you do the following things, okay? So these are Yaakov's expectations, okay? His expectations are, you're going to be with me. You're going to protect me everywhere I go. You're going to give me food. You're going to be closed. You're going to bring me back home to my father. And you're going to always stay with me and be my God. Then I'm going to make this place into a temple and I'm going to give my servant. So Yaakov sets up a whole bunch of conditions. He makes a nether. How do Chazal view that nether? What do you say? He's going on an uncharted journey. I should mm-hmm. promise him I'm gonna be with him. He knows the muckum. He already has an epiphany. Mukham. this is my mindset. Okay, he locks into it. How does Hazal view this, view this, this nether? What do you say? Anyone know? Very difficult journey, will have that and That's it's like a double. What does Hazal say about this nether? He's yeah, he's responding to his you know the all the uncertainties. Look at E. You can read the whole article. It was did a beautiful job of putting it all together in the Ish article here. Let's read it. Yaakov was the first to utter a vow. Therefore, when one vows, he should refer the vow to uh, to Yaakov. Rav says it is written, and he quotes in Pasuk uh, in Tehillim uh, that he he swore to. The mighty one of Jacob is It does not say, but Jacob, thus referring the vow to him who was the first to give out. So first of all, when a person makes a vow, it's like, like Yaakov, because Yaakov was the first to give nether. Rabbi Nassim says, look at this. If a man makes a vow, it as if he built a bummer. What's a bama? It's Is it, for, is it, you're allowed to build a bummer? Oh, you're not allowed to build a bummer when the basement is standing. You're not allowed to build a bummer, a personal altar. You're not allowed to do that, a personal altar. And if he fulfills his vow. It's as if he sacrificed upon it. It's a huge average to bring a carbon on a Bama. It's a, one of the biggest hisurim. You're not allowed to make your personal Bama when there's a base Hamigdash and you're certainly not allowed to bring a carbon on it. Two things. What do you think this is saying? If there's a base Hamigdash, what's the problem with making your own personal Bama? What does that even mean if there's a base Hamigdash, don't make your own personal Bama? What, it, it, the first layer of understanding is obvious you're not on a separate journey than everybody else this is not you're not alone on your own little private survival mode rowboat in a big sea okay we have a base in Mikdash. we have the source of a kodesh baruch whose guidance protection enlightenment for all of Amishul, and from there it flows out to the whole world why you why do you think you're all alone and you're making your own bummer and then you sacrifice something on it like when a nether is a sacrifice i won't do this I swear not to do that, right? You take something upon yourself. That the Torah doesn't forbid. Now, sometimes, you know, you know you have a certain shortcoming, and you have to go, like Rambam says, to the other extreme to balance yourself out. Obviously, there's, it's not a simplistic topic, <clears throat> but you're not allowed to bring a bummer when there's a base of Somebody makes a nether, okay? So it says that you have to be very careful, because it's like a bummer, And if you keep the nether, it's like you sacrificed on it. What it's trying now when we learn Gemara again, I we always my grandfather told me this. The Gemara doesn't write in essay form. The Gemara is writing in code language and riddles and analogies and there's nothing as simplistic and you have to learn all the many layers to it. But on one on just one layer of it, is that that um, be very careful making your own personal conditions and imagine you know and and, uh, and thinking that you're alone on your own personal journey because you're not alone in your own personal journey, okay? And if you do set up your own personal expectations that you decide, that we decide for our lives to be fulfilling or good or right or satisfying, this must happen for me, okay? And we lose sight of the fact that we're part of a much bigger story. We don't get to pick our chalic at all. Certain circumstances happen to us. We get to choose how to channel a Kodesh Baruchel through the circumstances that befall us, okay? We really don't need to waste time inventing our own special journey and all the factors of it that are supposed to unfold for us as we want them to, okay? It's, it doesn't work well, usually. Be careful with that. Yes, oh, okay, hold on that, hold on. The medrash draws our attention to the fact that contextually, the co- now, oh, he wants to tell us this. What happened with Yaakov's nether? Was Yaakov able to fulfill it? No. No, he didn't get to fulfill it. First, he came back and the whole story happened with Dina and then Lavan. There's all sorts of factors. He didn't get to go right back to base kill and do what he said. So look what happens. The medrus draws our attention to the fact that contextually the command to return to base kill is sandwiched when Hashem said, okay, go back and fulfill your promise. What you know, is sandwiched between two tragic occurrences. The implication is that both these and other tragedies could have been avoided had Yaakov kept his vow. However, it also means that he couldn't keep his vow for various circumstances and that he couldn't control OK, so all, that's part of it. So says Rav says, if a man delays to fulfill his vow, his ledger is examined. The proof is this. Because our father, Yaakov, delayed the fulfillment of his vow, his ledger was examined. And HaKadosh Baruch said, what's going on? Go to base kill. Here, when his ledger was examined, it was found lacking." Rav Shmuel ben Nachman says, if anyone makes a vow and delays to fulfill it, he will ultimately be involved. Now, now of course, the Gemara, again, it's not writing in essays. So it's telling you all the factors that precluded Yaakov from easily fulfilling his vow. And the problems that happened because he had made a vow. In other words, he had expectations, promises, couldn't fulfill them, all sorts of other things happened. it didn't play out the way he wanted to. In fact, it led to other problems. So it says like this, if, if one, anyone makes a vow and delays to fulfill it, you will ultimately be involved in the worship of idols and sexual immorality and bloodshed and slander. From who can you infer this? From Yaakov. <laughs> Chazal don't look great on, this, on him not fulfilling the vow. But they also tell us that you, not, that you can't necessarily fulfill your vow. That's why it's so dangerous. OK, here from Yaakov, who, because he had made a vow and delayed to fulfill it, came to be involved in all these. When do you know, okay, when do you know about idol worship? So we know that after the whole Shechem story, when they killed that Shechem, he had to tell his whole household, get rid of all the Abode Zohar you picked up there. Okay, so that happened, the whole Dina story and the whole Shechem story and all of that. So he was busy with that. He couldn't go back and fulfill the vow. What about sexual immorality from Dina? Dina went out. He was living in Shechem because he, he because of, um you know, we actually had a class on this, the whole story of how he ended up in Shechem instead of going back to Beiskel. Whence the bloodshed, whence the bloodshed, from the fact that it says, and it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that the two sons of Yaakov slew all the males. This whole thing, right? From the, And whence of slander, from the fact that it says, and you heard the words of love and son, saying Yaakov has taken all that was our father's. A rabbi say that if anyone vows and delays to fulfill it, he will bury his wife. Okay, all sorts of terrible things if you vow and delay to fulfill it okay so what's happening here the Zohar expresses the same idea observe that the accuser attacks a man only in the time of danger and so was on account of Yaakov having delayed to fulfill his vow when he which he had made to Hashem hence we are taught that a man should never open his mouth to the satan so what does it mean when it says don't open your mouth to the satan is it talking about delaying the fulfillment of the vow or what is it saying making it making a vow which is based on all sorts of expectations and plans that you hope will come true that you can't control. Okay. In as much as the latter is short to take hold of his utterances and use it to bring accusations them. Okay. What that means is that um, this vow that Yaakov made didn't work out well for him. And if you look at the simple shot. All right. I've already promised him everything. And then because I'll say it's like making a bummer. So let's put it all together. Okay. Yaakov is the prototype for Amisol going into Gullus, okay? We have established early on by Yaakov, the concept of Mokom. We are not alone. We are part of a bigger story. Wherever we go, we're still in our space, okay? We will succeed and our ideas will influence the world and they will be blessed through us. And despite all of it, we get lost in our own personal worries and fears. Now it's not just worries and fears about The unknown, what will happen? I mean, there's legitimate time to worry and fear if the holocaust is brewing or whatever. Okay. But let's take it more personally. We're all going through a personal journey. Okay. And in in our personal journey, also, all right, we have guaranteed a guaranteed promise that wherever it goes and wherever it's always an opportunity for what to realize we're in this muck home and we can channel something of the greater reality. Our way. Okay. But what happens? We forget that we have a chelek, pre established factors that we didn't get to choose. We somehow, at some teenage year, start getting self awareness, looking around, looking at everybody else. And then we're told by our educational system and by society choose a goal, choose a, you know, an, a, 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 an, and, uh, you know, a vision prioritize and go for them okay and there's truth to that of course you prioritize Torah and all and to- living a Torah life and all that but we're not sure what we we that's what throws us off and we start thinking that a happy life and a good life ha- has to have the following factors okay then they become our expectations and then as you know we shift from aspirations to expectations and then we start getting worried and we start making all sorts of personal, if, if this, happens this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens like Yaakov, then, listen to this, then I'll devote this place to Hashem. Then I'll make a place in this world for God. If all these things happen, I'll make a place for God. And I will also devote part of what I have to God. If all these things happen. <laughs> so that is where we go wrong. So what happens here is like this. The goal is that to be realistic. Aspirations are beautiful. The ultimate aspiration that Yaakov had is I'm going to get through Gullus with Hashem by my side and I'm going to come back here and I'm going to be whole spiritually and I'm going to be a model for the world and we're going to have a basement. That's a beautiful aspiration. So look at number F. Aspirations are beloved. The word Neder really is related to the word dar, dalad or dira, the real aspiration, what Yaakov really wanted without the expectations of how it would unfold, okay? Well, what Amishol wants, the nether we make is the concept of dira. We wanna make a dira. We wanna make a dwelling place, so to speak, for Hashem in this world. That's really our aspiration, okay? Look what happens, Huda says that Jacob's desire to build a a dira for the Shechina, a place for the Shefa to be expressed in this world, resulted in a reciprocal gesture on the part of Hashem. Rabbi Yehuda said the Holy One gave two nidaram, two promises, two vows to Yaakov, that he himself would go down and stay with him in exile, and that he would let him come out of his grave to behold the joy of the holy host of celestial beings who would dwell with their children. Let's do that in, in today's language that, that um, Hashem loves these aspirations to be always aware that we're in the muck home, to not get lost on the journey, to be, to be open to whatever happens and not set up certain specific demands. Okay. You know, we have a class that I, you, you know, you've heard it before, stop looking for your tafkit. It doesn't mean that each person doesn't have a tafkid but you cannot choose for yourself a particular specific role that you decided you want to play. <laughs> That's an expectation that is doomed to come back to haunt you because you have no idea. We have no idea if all the variables that have to come fall into place for me to play that role are going to happen. So a as is, wherever I go on my journey, I know that I'm in the muck home and I could take whatever situation and channel something great and true through this time, okay, and that Hashem is with me, I don't separate myself and go to my own personal deal-making, I'm part of Amishol. okay, and when I but the aspiration is to get through Gullus, play our role, Hashem loves that, and Hashem says, I will go down and stay with you in exile, what that means is, remember we asked what the Malchios are bringing down, what those, exile, what those those kingdoms are bringing down, when Hashem says he'll be with us in exile, we learned this, it's all the ideas that flow, the neshama, the divine exhale, the way we think. Hashem will be with us in exile. Because of the situation in the world, it forces us to rethink Torah values, to internalize them, to assess the world in light of our Torah values, to come up with chidushim and ways of under, explaining Torah and ways of conveying Torah that responds to the situation today. There's Hashem's shchina. Ramam says shchina is the hashba. Right, it's the Melech. Remember that? Oh, so late. The Melech, meaning that which influences us and, 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 and guides us. That's with us all the time. That's what those empires are bringing down. the Yaakov sees, and our job is to is to um, is to not be afraid, and not and not um, pre, predetermine how that experience of confronting the the energy or the forces that are in play today how that is um you know how, how we're going to you know how that's meant to be or supposed to be in other words we started out the word avail aval, okay but so much misery is because of that it should have been something else okay we're in a right now all right nobody wants to be in a perpetual state of sadness a perpetual state of despair of self-pity of hopelessness. In fact, we only have three parshas of Availus, and then seven of Nechama. Okay, so we're here it's like this. The Availus is why do we mourn? Really, but and we take it personally. All those buts, all those expectations. But if it would only that that make us miserable, get rid of them. Get rid of them. Lack. Lower the expectation. Raise the aspiration for yourself. Lower the expectation. The takeaway. The space between your high aspirations and your very undecided, because you don't know what's going to be, expectations, you don't even know, don't even decide what your expectations are, because you don't know, right? That leads, that's the place for happiness, contentment, gratitude, creativity, and joy. When you have aspirations to do the best with what you can without locking into certain specific way something's supposed to unfold, that's with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your family, with your own life, okay? Letting go of that expectation lets lets you let go of so much mourning. What is mourning? I'm mourning what should have been that didn't happen. I'm mourning the death of my dreams, of my hopes, of course, of that which I relied on, that's all mourning. Now, when it comes, we'll end with this last idea. We are supposed to be Miss Abel on the base of Migdash. Okay. What that means is we're supposed to understand that that place is still the source, like Yaakov said, of all the great ideas. All right. But the way we respond to it in Golos is specific, it is very different than childhood. It is. That is, there are great ideas still flowing into the world. They're not flowing through Nevi'im now. They're flowing through our using our minds, our chachma to to observe and respond to the messages in the world and thereby keep people and bring people close, you know, close, keep people close to Torah by giving them a direction how to handle all of these forces coming at us, all right? And mourn, okay, our, how we derail ourselves. This is what we mourn, how we derail ourselves, how we get ourselves off track, how we disappoint ourselves and frustrate ourselves and, and make ourselves sad by, um, you know, imposing upon ourselves what, how it was, how it should still be, okay, and 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 uh, working simply with what we have, and doing our best with what we have, okay. Yes. Would you say that a vow is like a deal, like you shouldn't be making deals? You certainly shouldn't. A vow is not exactly like that. A vow is, but you're right. You can't. You shouldn't be making deals. Now, there's no question that in tikkun hamidos, people take upon themselves yeah. certain restrictions to improve themselves. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. When a person takes upon themselves a, a, a promise to avoid a certain behavior or do something because they're doing tikkun hamidos, that's a very good thing. But deal-making, if it works out this way, Same. yeah, that is just setting oneself up for unnecessary. The other one is internal. Yeah yourself and your Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. The other is yes, you're saying this should... this. I this. think this is the way my life should be. Correct. And then remember we talked about the hefta. you're saying all these variables, these objects, these things, they should all play certain roles. You know, And you have to be very careful because again, you know... So you has aspirations for yeah no Moshe was a, was it wasn't that's not the right language aspirations for Yeshua he wanted a Kodesh to pick someone who understood the ruach of every person but Moshe was a, when you aspire you can really only aspire for yourself you can't aspire for your children yeah but what does that mean you, of course we all have hopes that our children but yeah of course but aspirations It doesn't work. Imposing your aspirations upon your kids or your expectations. Of course, of course. So what, let's talk about chinuch for a second, okay? Learning on the job is always the best way to learn. What is chinuch, right? So you create your job. The only thing you 100% have total control over, okay, is the way you operate and how you create an environment that makes it that's positive, Gamzula Tova, that's true. You teach Torah truths. You make it safe. You're like a Baruch Hu. You give people a million second chances. You don't zap someone in the beginning. You don't expect them to play a role that they might not be able to play. You let them be them. The stones around you so that you are enclosed in Torah because anything you do should be Torah. Yes, and you set up an environment you set up an environment that is which you know, which is the only thing you can fully do. And in that environment, your children who you did not design, who have a complete different Khalik than you, they learn the priorities, they learn Torah, they learn the Messorah. they know how to live, they learn mitzvahs. And they live in a safe space where they are not assumed to be someone else or expected to be someone else or whatever. And then that child can grow up in a healthy and secure attachment of knowing I'm learning the Torah truth, the timeless truth. These are my parents' values. These are the priorities. No mistake about it. This is how I should live. But how that will be integrated into me and expressed through me with my unique blend of of, of factors or my chelek, that will unfold with life. So it's a combination of, let's really call it chesed and gavura. Chesed is the overflow of all of what I bring to my family. And gavura is where I hold back and recognize they're a separate chela. They have their own chela. Yeah. Say it again. is that a vow? I'm not sure. I don't think he made a vow. No, he made a deal. He made an offer to Yosef. I'll be in jail instead of him. I know he made a vow with Yaakov you're talking about, that I will promise to protect him. Yeah, he made a promise and he tried to fulfill that vow. And in the end he did. Yeah, he made a promise to do whatever he could to protect him. But, you know, Yaakov's vow is all about Hashem. If you stay with me and you give me food and you give me things and you come back, it's only you, But you have to do, Chazal, don't look so well on that vow. you know well chazal are you know want us to understand that um it led to trouble for Yaakov because he couldn't fulfill it he couldn't make he you know he said hashem if you do all these things and hashem did all those things and he said then i'll do a and b but he didn't do a and b so fast whatever situation precluded him from doing it and then that became a an obstacle and led to more so you know, um, not fulfilling your vow, because I'll tell us remember that we read the Zohar. Yeah, but you might not be able to fulfill your vow. <laughs> so be careful. He says the power of my life is how I'm difficult and then you lost years. Yeah. What does that have to do with it? Yeah. Like Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Let me see the chat here. Okay, let me unmute you guys for a second. I'm going to stop recording, but I'll stay on this meeting. Stop recording.